If you're passionate about your ride, you're in the right place. Todd Bianco is talking cars, trucks, crossovers, electric and hybrid vehicles, and amazing auction and used car finds. This is all revved up from iHub Radio. Here's Todd. Welcome, 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 welcome. I was listening to the news at the top of the hour, and they were talking about uh, lines for gas in many uh, cities on the East Coast. It is, I remember this. I'm old enough to remember the gas shortage from the 70s uh, and people waiting in line. We In California, we had odd even days if you're, you know, for your license plate number and you had to wait. And sometimes the gas stations were out of gas. Uh, you know, it was pretty awful. And uh, I was uh, much younger then. And one of the jobs I had as a, you know, a, basically a gopher for a construction contractor was to fill up the cars. You know, he, it was a waste of his time to do it. So he sent me, you know, I was much cheaper to sit in line and get gas for the various cars. Uh, I hope that doesn't, uh, you know, go out here as well. Uh, most of it was the East Coast, but it is, you know, an issue about you know, cybersecurity that everybody should be concerned about. I also, uh, uh, I also uh, was was uh, thinking about uh, electric cars, and if you have electric, then you really don't have this issue. Uh, and more and more people in California are going electric. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Let's start with some news. Uh, Arrival is a UK-based startup that is building electric uh, delivery vans for UPS in Europe, uh, as well as in the USA. And they're very quietly, I think they have a small factory space in South Carolina somewhere. Uh, but they plan to work with Uber to develop an electric car specifically for ride hailing. Uh, but it's unclear if any version may make it to the United States. The so-called arrival car will be designed with input from Uber drivers uh, with final design expected to be revealed by the end of this year. Uh, Arrival said that that's what they said in a press release. Uh, the company plans to start production in the third quarter of 2023. It's a long way away. Uh, Uber plans to make its ride-hailing service all all electric in North America and Europe by 2030. But I think that this particular uh, this particular issue is uh, they uh, want their London tech, you know, fleet to be completely electric as soon as possible. I think this, that's what this is about. Uh, the 2022 Ford e-transit electric van uh, will start at 43295 uh, Ford announced. Uh, orders will begin in July. Uh, it is available in many configurations. Options include low roof, medium roof, high roof, regular, long, long and extended wheelbases and a cargo van, chassis cab and cutaway body styles. Uh, the base price applies to the cutaway body with a low roof and extended wheelbase. Uh, the cheapest cargo van is the low roof regular uh, wheelbase version, uh, which starts at uh, 47195 The most expensive e-transit variant uh, mentioned by Ford is... Uh, uh, is the high roof extended wheelbase uh, cargo vans uh, are as high as fifty two thousand six ninety. Uh, the e-transits all use the same battery. It's a 67 kilowatt hour pack uh, with cells from LG Chem and one large motors uh, sending uh, 266 mo- you know, horsepower and 317 pound feet of torque to the rear wheels. 
Um, the ranges, these really aren't for retail customers. Ford is looking for a commercial fleets. Uh, the fleet buyers are really what's key here. And they're, you know, like a, a telephone company or a utility or, you know, somebody who knows exactly how many miles, uh, their vans or their, you know, their, their, their trucks drive on any given day. And they, you know, come back to a central yard at night and can be recharged. So I, you know, that's really what this is going about. I mean, the range is uh, they cited to 60, 116 miles, which for most people isn't that great. But if you, you know, if you have a a fleet where your average truck drives uh, 60 miles uh, a day, then this is absolutely perfect and no problem. Um, FCA. Uh, Fiat Chrysler, before the merger, was heavily reliant on uh, Tesla emission credits to avoid heavy EU fines. However, after its merger with PSA to form Stellantis, uh, FCA will no longer need the credits. The deal was reportedly for a whopping $1.7 billion of the credits. Uh, the loss of the FCA Stellantis credits means Tesla will have to look elsewhere to sell its credits. Tesla has relied on sales of credits to fund the building of its gigafactories in Austin and Berlin. And while Tesla has more than enough cash to complete the factories without selling the credits, it uh, hurt. It hurts to, you know, it, it does hurt to have that uh, revenue stream uh, affected. <clears throat> Argo AI, which is the self-driving tech company backed by Ford and Volkswagen, claims to have overcome one of the main challenges to deploying its technology for driverless cars. Um, it's, you know, the issue is accurately seeing and identifying objects at a long range. Uh, the company announced its own LiDAR sensor, aptly named uh, Argo LiDAR, uh, which it says can accurately spot and identify objects more than 1,300 uh, feet away, or about 200 feet more than the current LiDAR sensors. Uh, this is something vital for highway driving. Argo AI is said to be... Uh, said to be so accurate that can it can uh, even correctly identify graffiti on walls or, or a spot small moving objects such as animals among vegetation and static objects. Um, most players in the space rely on a combination of sensors to guide self-driving cars with the primary one being cameras and LiDAR. Uh, while cameras work well at long distances, they don't work well in poor light, uh, for example, during night driving or inclement weather. Uh, while LiDAR doesn't suffer for the same light issues as cameras, the technology until now was limited by its range and accuracy. Uh, Argo expects the issues um, expects the first application of its full self-driving system to be sometime next year. Argo didn't say any uh, uh, didn't say how much it, it's going to cost, uh, you know, because lidar is expensive and it's expensive to equip every vehicle with lidar. Uh, but so that's a major issue. Uh, as you've heard, there the chip shortage continues unabated. Uh, I keep hearing some manufacturers are skipping, uh, are you know, are shutting down assembly lines, and now what they're doing is they're uh, shuffling tech features in a car. So, you know, something that they may have offered before, like a digital dash, is no longer offered. Uh, so there's there's a bunch of things that they're doing in order to avoid uh, the chips that they need for certain types of applications. You maybe end up buying a car that has a different look than a car maybe say six months from now because the you know the chip shortage will have changed. But it's basically going back to low tech solutions. 
Uh, California is leading the EV revolution. I talked about that at the top of the hour. Uh, in uh, Q1 2021, Californians purchased 59,000 plug-in cars, accounting for more than 9% of market share in the, in the quarter. Uh, the plug-in category includes fully battery electric cars, as well as plug-in hybrids. As expected, the Tesla Model Y uh, is the top-selling model in the state at 15,265 units, uh, with the Tesla Model 3 second at 14,536. The Chevrolet Bolt EV was a distant third at 5,252 units. <clears throat> the highest plug-in hybrid was the um, dog is jumping on me. Uh, was the Toyota Prius Prime, and it's in fourth place at 4,081 units. Uh, the Model 3 is the most popular electric vehicle in California. Uh, at, you know, when you total it, there's more than 144,000 of them registered in the state. Uh, during, but the, you know, the Model Y is going to catch up to that within a year or so. Uh, during Q1, there were 3,000 public charging connections and two hydrogen fueling stations uh, at, installed in California. These were added, uh, bringing statewide total to 74,433 chargers and 47 hydrogen stations. Now, there aren't a lot of hydrogen cars. There's the, you know, the Toyota, uh, what's the thing called? Uh, the Toyota has one, and uh, I think Honda had one, a Clarity. I don't think they make it anymore. Um, so... Uh, California accounted for 45% uh, of national plug-in sales in Q1, and sales numbers for the state were up nearly 50% from the fourth quarter of 2020. Uh, the state maintained data. Uh, the state main, the state maintained data uh, indicated that this was the case. Pretty good. In addition to disruptions from the uh, coronavirus pandemic, last year saw a dip in California plug-in sales, while EVs and hybrids surged. <clears throat> New prices are skyrocketing, or skyrocketing, in case you hadn't noticed. Uh the combination of strong demand for new cars and tight inventories is creating a perfect storm of high vehicle prices. Many buyers in 2021 are paying more for new vehicles compared to last year as incentive spending drop uh, and um, <clears throat> You know that that so the you know the money that they were trying to give you last year just to buy a car, uh, this year the you know that doesn't exist, and a lot of this has to do with the global microchip chip shortage, which has affected the inventories. So according to Cox Automotive, uh, new vehicle inventories were down 25% compared to last year and could soon be down as much as 40%. At the same time, nearly all automakers are reporting strong sales numbers through the first a few months of 2021. Uh, with fewer vehicles on dealer lots, but strong consumer demand for new cars, automakers are rolling out fewer incentives. In other words, you won't find much cash on the hood. GM said that the average uh, price has increased $3,500 per vehicle in Q1 2021. Ford says its average transaction price in April was $43,600, driven by more expensive SUVs and trucks. So the average transaction price across the board is said to be around $40,000 now. That's expensive, and I just don't see that being sustainable, but I guess people keep buying expensive uh, cars that they may not be able to afford. Uh, GM CEO Mary Barra says that the upcoming Chevy Silverado EV will be a high-volume entry uh, affordable for fleets. 
there's that fleet number again, just like Ford. And while it will be built uh, in the same factory and on the same platform as the $112,000 GMC Hummer pickup truck, uh, it has to be much more affordable than that. Uh, Ms. Barris says that the initial interest has been overwhelming, especially from commercial and government customers. GM gave a sneak peek to some customers, and the customers said that it exceeded their high expectations with zero emissions, long-range uh, pickup capability innovative storage and strong value along with a powerful design okay those are big words the the silver uh, the silverado ev hasn't been uh, teased out to the public yet we've seen just a few small teaser shots um gm is said to expect uh you know to be shown uh, a little bit later this year, so not too far away, and that they expect a range to exceed 400 miles for some of the build uh, builds of the car. Uh, so the ones obviously with the biggest battery. Uh, this week, Ford confirmed rumors that the upcoming F-150 electric would be called Lightning. Okay, that's okay. That's, that's actually pretty cool. Uh, now, if we could just see the production version and get some specs. Ford is set um, May 19th as the official reveal date, and it uh, should go on sale sometime in 2022. Being that the Ford F-150 is the franchise for Ford, and the fact that it um, is expected to be high volume, Ford needs to get this right, and I think it will. Uh, this is Todd Bianco. You're listening to All Revved Up on iHub Radio, and we will be right back. need your help now. Help us help them. The Fogelson Family Foundation and Jewish Family Service of the Desert collaborated to form the Family Assistance Program. The need is great. JFS has heard from over 400 families who still need help. Together, we are there to fill the gap. Call 760-325-4088. It is estimated that 50% of the Coachella Valley households have had detrimental financial effect due to COVID-19. Job loss, decreased hours are just a couple obstacles facing local families. Please call today and consider a donation at any level, which is distributed to qualifying households for crucial necessities such as food and medications, overdue rent, and minor home repairs. Each and every dollar goes to help vulnerable families in the Coachella Valley. Phone 760-325-4088 or visit jfsdesert.org. From Detroit and beyond, Todd's talking about trucks, cars, vans, SUVs, and even the occasional dune buggy. It's all revved up on iHub Radio. 
Welcome back. I found a terrific uh, survey that was done by Consumer Reports. Uh, they looked at cars that were 10 years old. So we're talking about uh, 2011 model year. You know, model years were in 2021. So these are 10 year old cars, and how much it costs to maintain and repair them. So they have a list of the least expensive and the most expensive by category, and it is kind of interesting. So cars under 5,000, remember this is something that you would buy on the used market for under $5,000 that's 10, you know, that's 10 years old. The top one is the Nissan Leaf and it has a cost at uh, for maintenance at zero because there really isn't much to do with an EV. Uh, so it gets the top spot. Uh, coming in under that is the Ford Fiesta, which of course Ford doesn't sell here anymore. And they're looking at $200 to maintain that uh, over the year. And then there's the Ford Focus, again, not sold anymore because these are small sedans, things that uh, hatchbacks that apparently nobody buys. And that comes in at $200. Uh, the, all three of those can be had for under $5,000. Uh, if you're looking for a used car, those might be uh, interesting. Now, cars that are between five dollars and $10,000, uh, there's the Hyundai Genesis, which is really a very nice luxury car, but it doesn't have the cachet of, say, a Mercedes or a BMW. Ten-year uh, cost is $200. Uh, Toyota Corolla. Uh, I guess that one is also between five and ten thousand dollars. It must retain value. Uh, Two forty-five Buick LaCrosse, Toyota Prius, uh, Lexus CT two hundred H, which is basically a Prius. Uh, Buick Lucerne not sold anymore. Honda Fit not sold anymore. Kia Soul they still sell that. Uh, Lexus ES, uh, Lincoln MKZ, uh, Mini Cooper. Uh, a Toyota, Toyota Avalon and Toyota Camry. All of those come in uh, somewhere between $200 and $300 to uh, maintain, which is really pretty good. And they're between five dollars and $10,000. Now, SUVs under $10,000, they like the Kia Sportage at $250 to maintain uh, the, and the Honda CRV at $300, $300 to maintain. Uh, SUVs between ten and twenty thousand. Uh, the Chevy Tahoe and Toyota 4Runner were both uh, top of the list at two hundred and three hundred dollars to maintain. Pickups under ten thousand dollars. Ford Ranger two hundred dollars to maintain, and Nissan Frontier two hundred dollars to maintain. Uh, pickups trucks between ten and twenty thousand. Uh, Chevy Silverado, GMC Sierra, which are essentially the same cars, uh, Toyota Tacoma, Toyota Tundra, Ford F-250, uh, Honda Ridgeline, and Ram 1500, all were between $200 and $300 to maintain. Now, that's the least expensive. Now we get to the most expensive. And the crown goes to, drumroll, BMW. So a car under $10,000. Um, is uh, BMW 5 Series is $1,200. Yikes. Uh, three, BMW 3 Series, $800. Audi A4, $550. And Subaru Legacy, that's surprising to see there, at $500. Uh, cars between uh, ten dollars and $20,000 to buy. Uh, Mercedes E-Class, $600. Uh, Toyota TSX, I mean uh, Acura TSX, and uh, Infin Infinity M both coming in at $500. Uh, SUVs under $10,000. Uh, the Acura RDX, surprising to see it there. Uh, Chevy Traverse, uh, the RDX was $700. Wow. Uh, Chevy Traverse at $590 and Toyota, I mean, and uh, Cadillac SRX at $530. Uh, Buick Enclave, Subaru Forester, and Subaru Outback were both on that list as most expensive. Subaru is not doing well here. That's three of, you know, three of their cars on the list that people 
I always say, is such a, a good and reliable car. Uh, SUVs between ten and twenty thousand uh, dollars. The Chevy Suburban <laughs> nine hundred. Yikes. Uh, GMC Acadia at seven seventy five, and then we have the Honda Pilot, uh, Acura MDX, Ford Explorer, Jeep Grand Cherokee, and Jeep Wrangler all at between six and six hundred and five hundred dollars to maintain. And then they have a minivan under $10,000. There's the uh, Honda Odyssey at $750 and the Dodge Grand Caravan at $500. Uh, I just had my Dodge Grand Caravan, which is, I think, a 2011 model, so it's 10 years old now. I just had that in the shop, and it needed new, uh, it needed new brakes. That was, you know, <laughs> not cheap. But yeah, so the, these are good things to look at. Is you know, if you're going to buy an older car, uh, check out this list on consumerreports.com.org. I mean, this is Todd Bianco. You're listening to All Riffed Up on iHub Radio, and we will be right back. Todd Bianco, talking cars and trucks on iHub Radio's All Revved Up. Here's Todd. Welcome back. Uh, before the break, we were talking about the survey that Consumer Report did of the most and least expensive uh, 10-year-old models to maintain and repair. Uh, but they also had a sister survey that was done just a little while ago uh, that looked at actual brands. So they took the average of the brand as to who was the most expensive and least expensive. Uh, and uh, that's interesting because they did the five-year average cost, and then they did the ten-year, uh, you know, average cost. And BMW took the top again. However, its five-year average cost was only forty-two bucks, while its ten-year average cost was a thousand thirty-three. Yikes! That was the highest and the lowest altogether. Uh, Porsche which of course is always expensive because they practically have to take the engine out to do any work on it. Uh, five-year cost is $410 with, uh, with a 10-year cost of 925 And remember, this is for the brand. Uh, Volvo, which shouldn't be uh, this high in the list, but here it is. Uh, five-year cost is $353 and 10-year cost was $830. Uh, Audi, uh, ten year. I mean, five year cost was one hundred eighty six, while the ten year cost was eight hundred and twenty five. Mercedes Benz um, had a quite high five year cost of four hundred and nineteen dollars to maintain. That's that's each year, and then on a ten year basis, it's seven hundred and seventy four dollars. Ooh, okay. Uh, Dodge. Uh, wow, it's Dodge is fairly high. Average cost is one hundred and sixty four dollars for five years, and. Um, uh, for uh, 10 years is 719. Uh, Volkswagen, as the next one down, is 215, I mean 212 for five years, and 667 for 10 years. Uh, Jeep at 236 for five years and $600 for a 10 year. 
Uh, then Acura comes in at 20, uh, 227 for a five-year-old uh, car and 525 for a 10-year-old car. Uh, Cadillac at $105 for a five-year-old car and 519 for a 10-year-old car, which isn't too bad. It's right around the median. Uh, Subaru, uh, 290 for a five-year car and 480 for a 10-year car. Uh, Infinity, uh, $356 uh, for a five-year and only $425 for a 10-year car. Uh, Lexus, of course, which is a Toyota, uh, 226 for a uh, five-year and 418 for a 10-year. Mazda at 188 for five years and 406 for 10 years. Uh, Kia, which is way down there, it's which is doing well for them, uh, 177 for five years, uh, and uh, and 392 for 10 years. Honda at 219 for uh, five years and 377. Nissan, which you know gets blasted all the time for having problems, but here it is way down on the list at 183 dollars for five years, and 376 dollars for uh, 10 years. Uh, then we have Hyundai at $170 for five years and $376 for 10 years. Buick, uh, in a, another car uh, you know, that you don't think about, but there it is, $122 for five years and $358 for 10 years. Mini, surprising, I always find Mini was a problem for me, but um, $143 for five years and $350 for 10 years. Um, a GMC, that's 222 for five years and 344 for 10 years. Uh, Chevy, way down on this list. Wow. 164 for five years and 342 for 10 years. Uh, Toyota, as you might expect, way down on this list. You'll be really surprised at the one that's considered the best here. Uh, Toyota at 207 for five years and 333 for 10 years. Ford, wow, way down there at uh, 175 for uh, five years and 321 for uh, 10 years. And then Chrysler at 183. There's not many Chrysler cars, but uh, I guess it's 300. And is there even a minivan that's 10 years old, this Chrysler? I don't think so. But anyway, uh, $183 for five years and 317 for 10 years. And at the very bottom of the list is Lincoln, you know, there you go, at $145 for five years and $268 for 10 years. Um, so there you have it. I mean, and, and, and Lincoln was probably a lot more uh, sedans 10 years ago than they are today because you know, Ford is getting rid of sedans, basically. Uh, so I'm, I'm impressed that Ford got near the bottom for uh, both the Ford brand and for Lincoln. Good for them. Uh, let's see. Let's do a little bit more news. Um, you know, just today the news broke that um, Volvo is considering an IPO on the Swedish exchange. Uh, the Swedish automaker, which is controlled by China's uh, Geely Holdings, uh, Zihang Geely, I don't remember how to pronounce that, uh, is abandoned mergers with its Hong Kong-based sister brand, also a subsidiary of Geely, called Geely Automobile. And they abandoned those plans in February. <clears throat> During the announcement Volvo uh, that in February, Volvo hinted that it may seek a listing of its own. A listing would allow Volvo, Volvo to tap the capital markets directly around the world, and it would create an opportunity for global investors to participate in the company's journey to become a leader, as they say, in the uh, fast-growing premium and intelligent electric vehicle segment. That's interesting how they phrase it. 
intelligent, I mean, I think they mean AI, basically self-driving. Uh, while uh, the current value is estimated between $8.1 billion and $11.6 billion, uh, listing would allow Volvolt to be evaluated um, individual, individually rather than part of uh, a merger with Geely Automobile. Uh, Geely Automotive. So <clears throat> Volvo has watched numerous EV brands in China get very high valuations like Neo. Uh, and and here in the United States, we have companies like Nikola Motors, Lordstown Motors, Workhorse, Quantum Space, etc., you know, that have gone public through mergers with a special purpose acquisition company. Um, and these carry very high values, even though they've never delivered a vehicle or a battery to any customers. Uh, Volvo and its sub-brand Polestar have delivered EVs to customers worldwide and plan on accelerating the pace of transforming the company from internal combustion to EV uh, by 2030. They made that announcement several months ago that they were going to go to 2030. Uh, that, that would be their transition date. So good for Volvo. I mean, this is interesting how it goes. Um, I think they want the valuation. I think they want, you know, every, and all of this goes back to the Tesla valuation, how that's you know, sort of taken off and everybody wants a little piece of that. And if you don't know what a special purpose acquisition company is, it's basically a company that it has nothing in it it has you know somebody like a, like a like a hedge fund or somebody like that or an investment to company uh what they do is they put now pick a number uh 100 million dollars into a corporation and then they take it public now that of course that has no financial statements other than you know cash and uh, equity and uh, there's really not much to report when they go public to the SEC because it just doesn't have any any background. So they take this company public. Uh, it's generally valued exactly what it's worth with the cash. But then it does a reverse merger with one of these uh, startup companies to theoretically take them public without, without them having to go through all the you know hoops and, and, and uh, uh, regulatory, um, processes that you have to go to to be normally listed once you're, you know, when, when you're an operating company. You have to go back many years with your financial statements and all that. So SPACs are very big these days uh, because it's fast and easy and people give you a high valuation even though you probably don't deserve it. <clears throat> Uh, there is an investigation into the much-reported crash of a Tesla Model S in, in Texas that killed two people. Um, it's, you know, this is an ongoing investigation, but fa new facts are coming out that I don't think the media really is reporting. So let's talk about it. First, autopilot was not engaged. The auto steer, so when the car steers itself, was not available on this type of road. There was a person in the driver's seat who wasn't wearing, we don't think was wearing a seatbelt. But there's a there's video from the, uh, the, the owner's own uh, outside camera from their house that shows them getting into the driver's seat of the car. So the fact that when they said, you know, the cops said that there was nobody in the driver's seat, well, there was, and he may have been thrown back there, or it's very possible that he couldn't get out through, uh, through his door and was going out through the back trying to get out through there. But there was somebody in the driver's seat. Uh, you know, whether he was thrown back there or crawled back there, it's, you know, it's hard to say. Um, so where are the huge headlines and retractions? Those are basically non-existent. Uh, Tesla had previously said that autopilot wasn't engaged and auto steer wasn't available on the road, but no one listened. Uh, it, it looks like it's basically driver error where they probably just 
put their foot to the floor on this, you know, this fast Model S and within just a few hundred feet, you know, lost control and smashed it into uh, various objects, which ended up in a terrible fire, fire and killing these people. It's, you know, this is an unhappy event, but uh, it doesn't look like it was the Tesla's fault. It looked like it was the driver's fault much more and more. And so blaming it on Tesla and, and autopilot and its various systems is really uh, inappropriate right now. Uh, Subaru has announced the name for its new electric SUV that arrives in 2022. It will be called the Solterra, S-O-L-T-E-R-R-A. Uh, the small electric SUV was confirmed by Subaru in December uh, as being on schedule and headed to the U.S. It will be, it will be built on a dedicated uh, electric vehicle platform that has been co-developed with Toyota, combining Subaru's all-wheel drive expertise with Toyota's elect- electrification technology. Uh, the Solterra will be about the same size as the Subaru Forester, albeit somewhat lower and sleeker. Uh, The uh, 2022 Chevy Bolt EUV, which is the kind of crossover, but not really crossover version of the the Bolt EV, has been rated by the EPA at uh, 247 miles of range. That's just a bit lower than the 250 miles that GM had estimated when the Bolt EV was EUV was unveiled uh, earlier this year. It's also uh, less than the 2022 Bolt uh, EV, just the regular Bolt, which uh, gets this, the same uh, 259 mile range rating as the 2021 model, even though it had been facelifted and new seats and those kinds of things. But it was essentially the same powertrain. It's kind of you can't really call the EUV. Um, a crossover because you can't get it with all-wheel drive. It's front-wheel drive only, and uh, you know, being a crossover, usually it has an option to have all-wheel drive, and, and that's not available on the EUV. But it, it should fa- should sell fairly well. I mean, 248 miles is uh, still a very good uh, good rating. Uh, so I, I I think that that's good for General Motors in general that uh, uh, these things are out there. Um, when I come back after the break, I'm going to go through five cars of the 1990s that you should be buying right now. And that feeds right into our portion on, you know, our next hour on uh, Bring a Trailer, which, of course, has various cars from all the different years uh, that, that are out there. And some of these things are bringing, you know, staggeringly high numbers that you really wouldn't expect. So that's an interesting list. And many of them uh, actually come from Bring a Trailer. Uh, this is Todd Bianco. You're listening to All Ripped Up on IHub Radio, and we will be right back. Bianco's All Revved Up continues on iHub Radio. Participation encouraged. 
but not required. Call 760-544-TALK. That's 760-544-8255. Here's Todd. Welcome back. I found an article in one of the magazines that said that uh, here are five cars of the 1990s you should be buying right now. Uh, And a lot of these Satan cars were basically common sights and, you know, uh, parking lots at um, high schools in the 1990s because they weren't, you know, you just bought them new. They weren't all that expensive. Uh, They they cite as an example the uh, 1990 Acura Integra Type R sold for a whopping $65,000. Bring a a trailer. Um, (laughs) Wow. Uh, But that's where we are as a nation, I guess. It says that the uh, nation that didn't get the car it wanted back in the 1990s, now you're going to buy it now. And I guess if you have the money, you can afford it. Um, So the ship has definitely sailed on a number of cars from that blessed uh, decade. Uh, Forget trying to clean up to clean a Mazda RX-7 FD. Um, You know, uh, there's just not going to happen. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Buick Roadmaster or you know, some big GM wagon, uh, you know, good luck signing those. So um, let's go over the list that they have here uh, that, uh, you know, you, you should consider buying now before the prices go, you know, dramatically higher. And the first one they list is the uh, Mercedes-Benz R129 SL class. And that was built from the uh, early 90s to gosh almost the, the almost like 2000 so you know um it's uh it's really pretty affordable right now surprisingly affordable uh and uh i had one as a matter of fact i actually owned one at the time um you know and i, I really liked it uh it was fast it had a five liter v8 engine i guess it has a you can get it with a 3.2 liter uh v6 now as well uh but it had a, this said you know fast with the engine everything was automatic uh, the top was terrific all that kind of stuff um yeah i so i've, I've seen them on bring a trailer and really nice ones are selling for reasonable prices uh and they think that that's going to uh expand uh there's then the, this is one that i've chosen before from bring a trailer um Let's see, the Nissan 300ZX Turbo. Uh, the 300ZX was another Street Fighter back in the you know, dial-up days. I like that way they put that. Uh, but even before the 90s ended, this coupe began to seem uh, like an artifact of an earlier era. This coupe entered a long period of hibernation and has only begun to emerge as values of its competitors start to notch upwards. Uh, I really like these cars, and I think that they were you know, they were kind of loaded with all sorts of features, and I, I guess I kind of like that kind of thing. Uh, but... Um, you know, uh, it, it really nice examples are f- still affordable, you know, uh, and something to consider. Uh, there's some older Nissans that are going for staggering amounts, like a Nissan Skyline. Um, and, um, uh, you know, this one is going to eventually go up in, in value. Um, let's see. Then they list the Mercedes 124. Uh, E-class convertible. Now these were very expensive. Now I, I have a I have an E-class uh, uh, from 1995. It's a it's a, it's a diesel. Probably isn't worth all much more than five thousand dollars. But uh, this uh, when they had the convertible version uh, that debuted in the late 80s and ran through I guess 1994, 95. I guess uh, these were like really like yeah, like eighty thousand dollars, which was 
super expensive for the time. Uh, you know, it, it's it had an inline six uh, that was very smooth. Uh, you got lots of luxury inside. There weren't very many, you know, there weren't very many uh, options at all. You just basically like a cold weather package or or that's it. Um, they are not. They they were sold for relatively low amounts of money. Uh, they were selling for even higher just uh, just maybe a few years ago. But right now they're kind of a depressed uh, in in the market. And I think that that uh, uh, that they will do very well uh, eventually. And so buying it now is probably a good idea. And this is a good thing to have in your condo here in um, you know Palm Springs. Then there is the Celica Alltrack Turbo. This is sort of a unicorn because there aren't that many of them out there. Um, you know, being Alltrack and Turbo, you know, you could find more Celicas, but you couldn't find, you know, you couldn't find ones that were, you know, all of the above. And Alltrack means that it had all-wheel drive. Uh, but uh, the Alltrack Turbo uh, was something of a secret menu item back in the day, serving up as 200 horsepower, which is a lot back then, courtesy of a turbocharged inline four paired with a five-speed manual transmission. A lot of these were used up and thrown out. That's absolutely true. Uh, but if you can find a very good one from, uh, you know, from that time period that hasn't been destroyed, like you know, like a like an MR2 turbo, uh, like like those are doing very very well. But the the Celica, which is probably using the same engine, uh, is sort of like a secret little, you know, that's one to do. But the, even those are getting a, a little bit, a lot of a lot of attention on the auction sites. So it, it's something to really look for. Um, the Canadians are already importing uh, imp the JDM versions of these cars back, uh, called the GT4 uh, in Japan, uh, and, and some of them will make their way into uh, the United States once they're 25 years old, because that's like the magic number 25 uh, in order to bring a car into the United States without having to federalize it. So another good another good tip there. And then, of course, uh, as I just said before, the MR2 Turbo, the Toyota MR2 uh, from the 90s, uh, it had a much nicer interior. This, this generation did uh, improve suspension. Uh, you know, the looks were, I think, better at that time. Uh, it looked more, you know, more smooth and more aerodynamic. Uh, the second generation is uh, quite sharp handling and helped by a modest curb weight. So it's lightweight. That always helps. Like a Mazda Miata, very lightweight, and they're always fun to drive and toss around. So these are mid-engine cars, which is very rare. You can't find these these days. And uh, they're a lot of fun. And finding it with a five-speed manual transmission, not beat to crap, uh, is something to look out for. I've, I've, I've followed all these on Bring a Trailer, and we've featured them before uh, on the show, and they've done very, very well. If they were, you know, not... You know, not bastardized. So there's there's a there's a list of five, but uh, there are others. I mean, you know, I have fondness for the you know this gigantic Buick Roadmaster wagon. Uh, you know, these things were selling you know from the mid nineties for you know more than fifteen thousand dollars now, and these things are like gigantic land yachts, and people have good memories of them from when they were children, and now they're buying them for a whole lot of money. So that's something to think about. Uh, next hour, we're going to be talking Bring a Trailer, and John McMullen will be with us. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. This is uh, Todd Bianco. You're listening to All Revved Up on iHub Radio, and we'll be right back. <laughs> 